Welcome to Hall of Stubs, the podcast that covers MLB greats not in the Hall of Fame. Here's your host, Zachary Nikolai. Joining Hall of Snubs today to discuss Kurt Schilling with me is Adam Pellerin. He is the anchor reporter at Nesson, the New England Sports Network. Adam, thanks for joining the show today, man. Hey, happy to be here. Boy, what an ominous title, the Hall of Snubs. Oh my gosh, sounds so harsh. A a little (laughs) bit. I've had some people have their uh, own views on it. They've talked to me after they go, you really think he was snubbed? I'm like, it's called Hall of Snubs, right? It's, it is. It's your show. I mean, this is your rodeo, man. Like, I'm just along for the ride, so it's all good. Oh, and it's going to be a fun ride today, Adam. So <laughs> I want to talk about Kurt Schilling today, as uh, sure. I mentioned. And it's funny, I was talking to a buddy of mine a couple weeks ago, and we were saying, what town or city would you want to play in if you were a player? Me being biased, I said LA, he said LA and New York, and we were talking. And have you ever had that moment where you stop a conversation or a debate and you start thinking, ooh, this is what I should have said? <laughs> yes, I have. That's exactly what I had. So I was thinking about it and I was like, why didn't I say Boston? You mm-hmm. look at New York and you look at LA and they're divided. And what I mean by that is you look at New York, are you a Yankees fan or a Mets fan? You a Knicks fan or a Nets fan? You look at LA, you a Dodger or an Angel? You a Laker or a Clipper? But in Boston, you're a Patriot fan. You're a Celtic fan. You're a Red Sox fan. Bruin, they're so united. And with you being in Boston, you uh, grew up there and then you've been covering sports. How awesome is it to just cover Boston sports? There's no, there's no better job for a, a lifelong Boston sports fan. I mean, there's no question about it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I grew up, uh, you know, fans of all of the four major sports teams. And I continue to be fans of the four major sports teams, although it's, it's a little bit different perspective now covering the teams. Uh, you know, of course, Nesson is the home of the Red Sox and Bruins, uh, but we devote obviously a great deal of coverage to the Patriots and Celtics as well. Uh, it's awesome, you know, and I've had the benefit of working in New England uh, throughout my entire career. So it was, it was cool uh, to, to be in New England working uh, when the Red Sox won the World Series in 2004. That was incredible to, to cover that. I was at Fenway Park during the ALCS, Game 4 and Game 5 walk-off wins, which was incredible. And here at Nesson, I was fortunate enough to cover the 2013 and 2018 World Series championships and being on the field post-game for the 2013 uh, World Series that was, of course, clinched at Fenway Park, which was historic because it hadn't happened in 100 years, uh, clinching the World Series at Fenway Park. So it was, it was pretty cool, and it continues to be just a dream job. You, you mentioned a lot of these great moments in Boston history. To me, I think of three, and Kurt Schilling's two of them. 2004, the curse is broken. Even when he went over there, you know, he said, my goal is to break the curse, which he did, as you mentioned, 2004, 2007. He also was a part of that team. They won that. And then 2018 sticks out to me. I, I get chills just thinking about it. After the tragedy of the Boston bombing and for the marathon, David Ortiz giving that speech at Fenway, I mean, it was just powerful and it showed how united Boston was. And so to me, I'm thinking about it. Kurt Filling is a part of two of the top three memories of Boston sports for the modern era for me. How is Kurt Schilling received in Boston? Well, I think that you'd have to go back right before we could talk about how he's received now. Back when in 2004, I mean, he was a hero. 
no question about it. He was a hero. When when the Red Sox traded for him in the offseason, that was a, you got to remember before you talk about 2004, you have to talk about 2003. And what happened in 2003 was, of course, the ALCS game seven, Aaron Bleep and Boone, right? And losing to the Yankees again. And that that 2003 team was was incredible. But again, it was it was a wait till next year type of thing. That's what we used to say around here. Wait till next year. Uh, because of the the curse, right? And so, so you go into the two thousand uh, the the off season after two thousand three, and the Red Sox make a couple of moves, right? You have to remember two thousand three is when David Ortiz came into his own, right? He became the the sort of guy out of nowhere, just hit thirty home runs for the Red Sox, and then in uh, you know in the year, the off season that followed two thousand three, uh, they go out and they get Keith Folk. They needed a closer. That was two thousand three was the big closer by committee year. And they didn't have a guy. They went out and they got that guy, Keith Folk, which was great. And then they got another horse in the rotation. Uh, they got another horse in Kurt Schilling, who, again, uh, you know, had a good career with the Phillies. But, of course, went to the Diamondbacks. Not only uh, did they win the World Series, he and Randy Johnson in 2001, but they beat the Yankees. They beat the Yankees in the process, which, again, you know, Red Sox fans' eyes lighting up. Huge, right? Getting Kurt Schilling uh, to come to Boston, and he didn't disappoint. He was outstanding. Uh, he got he aggravated that ankle injury in the postseason in the first round against the Angels, and and then obviously you know what happened uh, in New York the first time that he pitched. He gets lit up by the Yankees, and you're thinking, oh man, here we go again, right? And for him to come back and do what he did in Game Six was just incredible. We all know the story of the blood and sock. And so he was, he was a hero uh, to Red Sox fans. He and David Ortiz that year, Ortiz had those, those two incredible moments in game four and game five, but Schilling had the bloody sock game in game six and, you know, Oh five, he was hurt and, you know, wasn't quite the same pitcher after Oh four, but it didn't matter. And it didn't matter for Keith Folk either because Keith Folk wasn't the same guy either after 2004, all that matters is what those guys did that year. And so Kurt Schilling was, you know, he's a legend, you know, you hear the expression, that guy will never have to buy a drink in Boston again. And that was the case for Kurt Schilling. So, so he's received well, you know, from about 2004 to, you know, after his time in Boston, and then he starts getting involved in politics and then people see him a little bit differently. Uh, but I think over the last few years, uh, the perception of Kurt Schilling has changed. And I think it started in Rhode Island too. When he, he had that video game company, borrowed a lot of money from the state of Rhode Island and the company goes bankrupt. And so that was a part of his, his story as well. And so you couple that with the, you know, the, the, the incendiary stuff that he's posting on social media and some of the things that he's saying, the, the, the perception of Kurt Schilling has turned uh, and it's taken a bad turn at that. So that's, that's sort of where things stand right now. The Hall of Fame debate is an interesting one, though, and I know we're going to dig into that, so I don't want to get too far ahead. You mentioned a lot of things that he did well as a baseball player, which are 100% true. And then you start to mention the off-field antics. We'll get into that in a little bit. And so I want to do something a little different with the show. And anyone who's listened before, we usually kind of go step by step. We take all six criteria that make you a Hall of Famer. And then we decide, are you a Hall of Famer? I've heard a lot of arguments about Kurt Schilling in the Hall of Fame. So today I want to group uh groups of three together. So I want to talk about one group of three. We'll do it right now. And then in a little bit, we'll talk about that group of three. And we'll see if just based on those three, if he's a Hall of Famer, and then we'll put them together in a little bit. So the first three I want to talk about, players' ability, 
player's record and contribution to the team. And so, I mean, three-time World Series winner, I think he was a little uh, contribution to those teams when he won. Can you tell me, growing up, especially in Boston, we know he was a stud, but his entire career, what kind of pitcher was Kurt Schilling? Power, a power pitcher, um, but a guy that evolved, you know, and I think that he certainly evolved. And you see this with a lot of guys that throw hard, right? And you see them sort of evolve as a pitcher. Some don't, and some aren't able to do that. This is a, this is a guy in Kurt Schilling who, you know, threw 97 miles an hour and was all gas back, back in his days with the Phillies. And not to say that he didn't have that in the tank with the Diamondbacks, he certainly did. Uh, but when he got to Boston, he could reach back, but he didn't have the – the consistent, you know, high nineties fastball. It's a guy that emerged, uh, you know, that, that, that evolved into more of a pitcher. And you hear that, right. That you hear guys that evolved, they're able to locate, right. They're able to locate that fastball rather than just trying to blow guys away. And then you develop a different pitch, a, a ball that drops right out of the strike zone, uh, good swing and miss stuff. And, and that's what he sort of became. And again, it, it, not to, there's another characteristic too, right? It's, it's, it's just the, the sort of swagger, you know, Kurt Schilling, right. He won like with his introductory press conference when he was, when he was introduced right to, to, to the Red Sox fan base was that he, he would like nothing more than to, to shut, you know, 60,000 screaming Yankee fans up. That's what he wanted to do. He wanted to go in Yankee stadium and he shut those, those, those fans up. And there's a lot to be said for that part of, uh, of his makeup as well. So uh, a, a pitch. I look at Kurt Schilling as a, a guy that sort of, you know, came up as a power pitcher and evolved into uh, sort of a, a more of a, a pitcher, right? Like instead of a thrower, you hear that, right? It's not, it, he was more of a thrower in his early days and then he developed into a pitcher that could locate and mix in some other pitchers and really, and really think on the mound as well. And you mentioned those early years, and there's a reason people forget that he was an Oriole and an Astro. It's because, <laughs> to be honest with you, yeah, it was mediocre. Right. He was mediocre before he made it to the Diamondbacks. And you look at his record before 2001, he was 110 wins, 95 losses, and he had a 343 ERA. And he just wasn't impressive. I mean, the year 1993, when he was with the Phillies, looking back, that was his star game. In the moment, it was a one-hit wonder, and you may remember right. this game. He threw a 147-pitch, five-hit shutout, complete game. You will never see that pitch count again. People are yanked after like 60 pitches now. Yeah, no, that's 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 but between three pitchers probably nowadays, right? Exactly. It's it's something <laughs> else. It's analytics and all this other junk. Yeah, going sure. Baseball. Yeah, absolutely. No, I I mean I he came out of the pen if I'm not mistaken early on in his career. I think when he was with uh, Baltimore or but anyway or Houston or whatever it was. But like you know that again like you know sort of a guy that evolved over the course of his career. Um, you know I, I know that I didn't follow his career as closely when he was with the Phillies. I do think it's funny though that you know it was Terry Francona uh, who managed the Phillies. Uh, during that time and, you know, and, and got to know Kurt Schilling really well. And that was, that was a, a big reason. I think Kurt Schilling wanted to, to pitch in Boston too, to be reunited uh, with, with Terry Francona and Francona was a guy that could manage 
uh, Schilling's big personality, right? Because he did. He had a, he had a pretty big personality. And, no um, and yeah, bro, still does. Uh, still does in more ways than we knew at the time. But yeah, no, he, again, like a, a good pitcher uh, who became really a great pitcher and, and, and an excellent pitcher in the postseason. You mentioned postseason. So like I said, he was mediocre before that. And then all of a sudden, Diamondbacks and Red Sox is when he made that living and that to me, Hall of Fame career. So I think player ability, he's a Hall of Fame player. You look at the record, though, that's where you can have arguments. So mm-hmm. lifetime, he has a 216 win to 146 loss. That's almost 60% win percentage. He has a lifetime 346 ERA. He has over 3,000 strikeouts, and he has over 300 strikeouts in a season three times. 20-plus mm-hmm. uh, wins season three times, and then postseason, like you mentioned, 11-2 and two in 19 yeah. postseason games, 223 ERA. I mean, he was lights out in the postseason, and this is why people think Derek Jeter is head over heels better than A-Rod. A-Rod, I could argue this, A-Rod was a better player than Derek Jeter, Sure, but Derek Jeter, he came into October and November, and he showed up, and that's what kind of gives Kurt Schilling that name. So, I mean, you look at record, I would say yes. Contribution to team, I would say yes. Based off Kurt Schilling as a player, Adam, would you give him the nod to Cooperdale? Yeah, that's a good question. He's borderline. I, I think he is borderline only because you look at when Kurt Schilling pitched and you have to ask yourself, was he ever the most dominant pitcher in the game during his time? And what's hard about that is who was his teammate? You mentioned it earlier when he was with Arizona, he was pitching with Randy Johnson. And then you also have Pedro Martinez, who he pitched alongside in Boston. Granted, Pedro was at the tail end of his sort of like dominance, right? Because before uh, 2004, you know, those, those years with Boston, Pedro was probably the most elite pitcher in the game at the time. But, you know, again, he pitched in an era with Schilling, pitched in an era with Johnson and Roger Clemens, uh, with, uh, with Clemens, and Martinez and Johnson. And even, uh, you know, Roy Halladay had emerged. And you have to ask yourself, was Kurt Schilling ever that during his time was there any stretch where you're like you know you could have a debate it's like who's the, who's the best pitcher in baseball right you know did Kurt Schilling ever come up in those conversations I don't know if he did so you asked me does he deserve to be in Cooperstown based on that alone ah that's tough I'm gonna go ahead and say the postseason is is what would put me over the edge so I would have to say yes based on that yes he would be a hall of famer in mind the one stat I'll give you, and then we'll go on to some other things about him. He is one of 18 pitchers with over 3,000 strikeouts. There are three other pitchers that have over 3,000 strikeouts, and they're not in the Hall of Fame. Roger Clemens, we already know why he's not in the Hall of Fame. And then Justin Verlander and CC Sabathia. And the only reason those two aren't in yet is because they're ineligible. Right. <laughs> right. They're going. Yeah, they're going. No. No, you're right. You're right. I mean, I think... I, you know, based on the statistics, wins are something that shouldn't be looked at nowadays, you know, because it just it's 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 almost become an irrelevant stat with pitchers. I think it's more of a the, something that people look back on fondly, like, oh, remember the days of the 21 pitchers, right? And it's like it's not as revered because you know, modern modern day statistics tell us that you know, obviously wins are you know, there are a lot of other factors that go into win, uh, which is true, which I believe in. But you can look at the strikeouts, I think, are still relevant. Um, I can, you can look at, uh, you know, other statistics like WHIP and uh, I think ERA is, is, is still something there. But anyway, uh, to your point, I think, yeah, it, it does seem like the 3,000 strikeout guys are, are, are still a lock for the, for the Hall of Fame based on that alone. Definitely. So you and I agree. I think me a little strongly than you uh, believe that based as a player, he should be in the Hall. Now looking at the other three criteria to be in the Hall of Fame, 
character, integrity, and sportsmanship. And so mm, yes, when you think of Kurt Schilling, you don't think of integrity. And I can think of when he was fired from ESPN for that picture, there was a shirt with a noose and it was a wrapped around journalist. And he said, mm. oh, this would be so awesome, basically alluding that, hey, if we killed journalists, this would be great. Um, he is very vocal about his political views and everything else on Twitter. How important are those things to you when thinking about the hall? Very important. And, you know, it's, it's funny. I think people will, you know, they'll argue against this, right? They'll argue against this because they'll go back to the days of Ty Cobb. They'll go back to the days of Tris Speaker, Hap Hansen, uh, you know, back, back in the day uh, when he didn't uh, want to share the field with, uh, with Black players. We've evolved a little bit since then. Right. So I, I don't think it's it's right to look at those players who are in the Hall of Fame and say, well, there's a precedent. Right. Those guys were jerks. So why don't we just let every jerk into the Hall of Fame? But I, but again, I also think that it's it is it's a great debate. It is subjective. I understand the argument for because none of what Kurt Schilling has said or done has happened on the field of play. Right. None of it has happened between the lines. And the voting will show you that this past 70%. Seven, I think it was 71. I think it was, I think it was, it was if, if I'm not mistaken, but either way, you need 75% to get in. He was 16 votes shy, I believe. Uh, that tells you that, that, that you know, only 30, 30% of the, the voting population, right, of the Hall of Fame voters believes that he shouldn't be in. And most of those, are probably because of the character clause, which is ambiguous at best, right? Because it's not very clear. And, and this is interesting, I'll share this with you. So, so this latest round of voting, the voting, the votes have to be in late December, right? The insurrection at the Capitol happened in early January. And so a lot of people have looked at Kurt Schilling not getting in the Hall of Fame and saying, oh, it must be because of the comments that he made supporting the insurrection at the Capitol and he posted on social media. It's not the case because the voting took place before the insurrection at the Capitol. Now, I will tell you, I talked to one Hall of Fame voter who told me that he knew of other Hall of Fame voters who, after the insurrection at the Capitol happens, after Kurt Schilling had posted what he posted, they contacted the Hall of Fame and tried to take Kurt Schilling off their ballot. So it does, it does tell, well, it tells you a couple of things. It tells you, one, everybody has a line because clearly the people who voted for Kurt Schilling initially didn't think the things that he had said or done in the past was enough to keep him out of the Hall of Fame. But the supporting the insurrection of capital was their line, right? That was, he crossed the line. Now, I would say that it's probably because it's a, a recency bias situation, right? So if the insurrection, the capital happened, let's say, in July and the voting took place in December, uh, as time goes on, maybe people wouldn't have felt as strongly. But, uh, but I'll also say this. If you look ahead to next year, which is the final year that Kurt Schilling's on the ballot, along with Clemens and Bonds, it's a, it's a, it's a big, big year, obviously, for Hall of Fame voting. I think that will affect him. I think you could see the, the percentage of votes go down uh, next year based on that, based on the information, again, that, you know, and who knows, maybe, maybe as time goes on, maybe the feelings, you know, they won't be as, as strong as they were initially. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised to see him get less of the vote based on, on, on what he had posted to Twitter about that. So we'll see, we'll see how that plays out. It'll be interesting. Yeah, as you mentioned, it's going to be his last year on the ballot. It's going to be a big year. You mentioned Clemens, Bonds. It's going to be insane. 
it's funny because I, I too, I read a couple quotes. I didn't get to talk to any, like you said, but I read a couple quotes to where a lot of people think, oh, he supports Trump. Oh, he is very vocal about his Republican views. That's why people don't want to put him in. There were a couple quotes where people said, no, your, your political view, that's yours. That's what's so great about this country. You can believe one thing and other people can believe another. The big thing for them was when you think about character and integrity, it's he thought killing people was okay and also a joke, but not just killing people. He thought killing journalists who are the people that vote for the Hall of Fame would be okay. So they felt, how can I say, you know what, if you think it's okay to kill someone, yeah, that's fine with integrity or yeah, your character's fine. So it's interesting on multiple occasions, it's not the, the political view of him and being so open on Twitter as we've been seeing in recent years. It's really that killing factor and, and promoting like, yeah, that's okay. So I thought that was interesting. And then especially after what you just said, people wanted to actually change their vote after the Capitol incident. I mean, that that's something else. So. It's telling. Yeah. And again, I don't know if that's going to hold up, you know, for the rest of the year. I don't know if those feelings will be as strong. But but to your point, you know, and, and, and what you had read and, and some of the quotes that you had read, you know, everybody has a line. You know, everybody has a line. And you get to a point where it's just like, all right, that that crosses the line. I mean, I can't vote for this guy. I don't care if it happened on the field or not. This is just something that I can't I can't morally do. And that's how some people feel. You know, you can you can look back and you can see the list of things that, that he has said and done. It's diverse, you know, right? Like you mentioned, the journalists. Uh, and there's an LGBTQ, uh, uh, you know, aspect to this as well. Uh, there's the, the Nazi artifacts uh, that that he had. All right, again, like these are all factors. This is all uh, weighing on the minds of voters. Um, you know, when they when they cast their ballot. So you know. And again, you know, there's all there's also the veterans committee years down the road, right? Where you've seen you've seen players get in that that were on 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 the cusp. But I, I will say this, I you know, I, I think it would it would be interesting because we're debating we're not only debating the character part of it, but we're also sort of debating the statistical part of this, right? I mean, that's that's a factor as well, and that's why he he, he has been left off some some voters' ballots, I think, of uh, the statistical part of that. You know, if he were, um, let's say, a Pedro Martinez, right? Uh, no question, uh, you know, like not unanimous, but no question. Would we, would he be in the Hall of Fame then? You know, would people, you know, would more people say, you know what, like he was on the cusp for me with the character stuff, but the stats, it just can't ignore the stats, you know? I don't know. That's because he's so close now. You're, you know, when he first got on the ballot, none of this stuff was a factor, right? Like none of it was a factor, but, and he received a, a much smaller percentage of the vote, which you'll, you'll see, right, when guys are first on the ballot. But it's not like he was a first ballot guy. He was never, yes. right? You know what I mean? So, so that that's what, you know, that's again, it will, it will be interesting uh, at the end of the year, see what happens. So you and I, I think, can agree. Character, integrity, sportsmanship, that's where we say, no, this guy's not a Hall of Famer. Player-wise, I think, yes, he is. You mentioned next year is his last year on the ballot. He actually wrote a letter to baseball saying, take my name off the ballot. I don't want to do this. And basically in it, he says, I want my name removed because I want someone who should judge me, not writers. And then he goes on to say, if the veterans committee says that I'm a hall of famer, I'll take it. But interestingly in his letter, he says, I don't believe I'm a hall of famer, but if the veterans committee says I'm a hall of famer, I will happily take that honor. 
So a lot in that letter that he wrote, it was like over 1,100 words. But my question to you is, we, we mentioned on the cusp as a player, character-wise, absolutely not. But does Kurt Schilling actually have a point? Is there something wrong with this voting? Should writers and media people not have a say? Should it be players and coaches that get to say who's in the Hall of Fame with them? No, no, I don't. I mean, the, the people that, that cover the game, I mean... <laughs> There are long time, well-respected writers and reporters who are in the Hall of Fame for the work uh, that they have done. Personally, I don't think Kurt Schilling would have had a problem with being voted into the Hall of Fame if he got got in. Would he have said, I can't accept this? I can't accept being voted in the Hall of Fame because writers have put me in. There's no way. That's ridiculous. The only way, the only reason I'm saying that is because he's not in, you know? Um, I will will say this. I, I haven't heard... Uh, Roger Clemens. I haven't heard Barry Bonds. I haven't heard uh, some of the other guys that are being kept out for suspicion of PEDs say that writers shouldn't have a vote. I haven't heard them say this. So Kurt Schilling is saying it. I just think that Kurt Schilling has a problem with the fact that that he's not getting voted in uh, based on the things that he's said off the field, said and done off the field. And he doesn't think that 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 should weigh into uh, a Hall of Fame voter. And, you know, he feels like he's being persecuted. That's the bottom line. He feels like he's being persecuted for his beliefs. And the reality is he's, you know, he's, he's being kept out of the Hall of Fame because people think that he's violated the character clause based on what like, he said and done. Like I said, a lot to unfold in his letter, in his career, in the character way. There's so much to unfold. And as we come to the end of our episode, um, I like to, with my guest, we're both now writers for the Baseball Association of America. I get a vote, you get a vote. And I ask two things. One, if you were a voter, would you put Kurt Schilling in the Hall of Fame? And then also, let's be realistic. We know everything going on. We know he wrote the letter. Do you think Kurt Schilling gets in his last time on the ballot? Do you think he gets in with the Veterans Committee like he's saying? Or do you think Kurt Schilling is never going to be in Cooperstown? I would not vote for him. And I do not think he's getting in. I don't think he's getting in. Ever? No. I don't think he's getting in. I'm going to stick with that. I've been consistent with, uh, with with my take of him not getting in or me thinking he's not going to get in. I don't think he's going to get voted in. I don't think the Veterans Committee is going to put him in either. But I will say this. If he changes his tune, right? If he changes his tune slightly or maybe apologizes in some way, shape, or form for some of the things that he said and done, posted the social media, then, then maybe, and I'm not saying this year, that's not going to happen down the line publicly because you I mean, the veterans committee, I mean, they, you know, they, people know who they are. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they have their th- themselves to think about as well. And again, I'm, you know, whatever, you know, it's, a, it's their decision, but those are, those are things that those are factors. And I, and I wonder if it would sort of, that would have might open the door, you know, some sort of mea culpa uh, down the line, but, but so maybe then, but I don't, if, if things are, sort of like you know stay the way they are now i don't think so he gets that self-realization i mean if he does that that's definitely a veterans committee thing both sign him in but i i still hold that i think they'll put him in regardless so you might be right uh, yeah you might be right we'll see in about 10 15 years but so <laughs> yeah. both of us agree not getting well we wouldn't put him in don't think right. he's going to get in on the ballot i think he'll get in veterans committee and you don't think so no nope no stick with that well, like I said, 10 to 15 years time, we'll uh, get back together and we'll see what happens with that. 
Excellent. That sounds great. So you'll be a big star by then. I'll tell you what. I'm hoping I'll be a big star too. Uh, Adam Pellerin, thank you for joining Hall of Snubs today. Uh, you're welcome back anytime if you want to. Nice. I'm looking forward to it. I'll look for the invite. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks again, Adam. Next week, we're discussing a player that saved baseball and made the summer of 98 one to remember forever. I'm Zachary Nikolai. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Hall of Snubs. You can follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Hall of Snubs. You can follow the host on Instagram at Zachary underscore Nikolai. Thank you to Mike Lapones for his oversight of this production. Hall of Snubs is a University of Laverne senior project.